as human beings, we all come imperfect. We're not machines. And to understand that if someone wrote a book about this, they are not alone. Hello, reader. I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today, my heart is so full because our guest is the highly sought-after speaker and children's book author, Trudy Ludwig. Her work focuses on promoting empathy, kindness, inclusion, and diversity in the classroom and beyond. We talk about her new book, Brave Every Day, and how reading books can promote empathy and kindness. Trudy Ludwig is a nationally acclaimed speaker and an award-winning author who specializes in writing children's books that help kids cope with and thrive in their social world. Her books include The Invisible Boy, My Secret Bully, and The Power of One. She has received rave reviews from educators, experts, organizations, and parents at schools and conferences around the U.S. for her passion and compassion in addressing peer aggression and friendship issues. An active member of the International Bullying Prevention Association, Trudy also collaborates with organizations like the Committee for Children and ConnectSafely.org and has served as content advisor for Sesame Street Workshop. Trudy's books have won the Mum's Choice Gold Award, the IBPA Benjamin Franklin Gold Award, and the NAPPA Gold Award, and have also been recognized as NCSSCBC Notable Social Studies Trade Books for Young People. Do I need to say any more? I don't think so. Trudy Ludwig is the queen social emotional children's books. But before we dive in, here's the book synopsis for Brave every day. From social-emotional learning expert Trudy Ludwig and award-winning picture book illustrator Patrice Barton, co-creators of The Invisible Boy, comes a story about managing anxiety and finding the courage to stand up for yourself and others. Most kids love hide-and-seek, but Camilla just wants to hide. Hiding is what she does best when she worries. And she worries a lot. What if I can't? I'm scared. A class trip to the aquarium causes her worries to pile up like never before. But when an anxious classmate asks for help, Camilla discovers that her heart is bigger than her fears. This tale of courage and compassion will embolden readers to face their own fears. Hello, Bianca. It's so much fun to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for joining me today to talk about your newest picture book, Brave Every Day. You have no idea how thrilled I am to have you on the podcast today because I love, love, love what your books bring to the lives of children and the adults who choose to read with them. You have a motto on your website or a guiding principle that says, making a difference in kids' lives one book at a time. So before we dive into Brave Every Day, 
I'm kind of hoping you'll talk us through your mission and what motivates you to write stories that can make a difference in kids' lives. Well, I feel that kids are navigating a very complex world since the internet has blossomed and social media has blossomed. And kids are exposed to a lot more uh, 24-7. And the world is much more complex. So I think it's really important for kids to have more realistic resources on what they're dealing with tough social and emotional issues that they have to face on a daily basis. You know, fluffy bunnies um, and happy stories like that, they're fun and fictional. My books are uh, fiction, but they're realistic fiction. I want kids to understand that what they're going through in their social world is normal and um, when it becomes abnormal, when friendships cross unhealthy lines. And when I was trying to find books with my for my children when they were younger, I I found that there was a real resource gap for these kind of books. And um, I wanted to fill that resource gap. Yeah, that's great. And you definitely are feeling that. So I, I think often when we talk about children's books, there's an assumption that they're just for children. But mm -hmm. can you speak to the value that your children's stories also have for adults? Yes, I think I'm a very sneaky children's author because <laughs> <laughs> what I do is I write books that I know adults will read with their kids and share with their kids. So I'm not only trying to educate kids on tough issues, I'm also trying to educate adults as well, what their kids are going through. And picture books, I love educator and librarian Molly Pearson. She says that picture books are big ideas in small packages. And I love that expression because really you're dealing with complex issues in uh, sound biteable ways, so to speak. It's a way you can peel back the layers of the story. People think picture books are very easy to write, um, but actually trying to address top tough issues with fewer words, every word is precious when you're writing a picture book story uh, because you know that the pictures are also going to be telling a story. So you don't want to be redundant with your words and the artwork. So I think for teachers, um, they can use these books as mentor texts as well as adults to open up conversations about tough social emotional issues in a safe social setting uh, rather than asking your child so um, have you been bullied today did somebody bug you today kids are less likely to talk about it but when they they share a story they can see themselves in the story I love Rudine Sims Bishop is a professor emeritus at Ohio State University and she wrote this amazing article many educators are aware of um, I don't know if parents are, um, but it's mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. And she promotes diversity in literature. And what I love about that statement of mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors is that books give an opportunity for kids to see themselves in the characters in the story. Their windows, they may be able to be exposed to other thoughts, feelings, and actions of people that they may not normally come in contact with and sliding glass doors because they are allowed to enter into the world. You lose yourself in the world of a story. And books are actually wonderful supplemental tools to build empathy. And actually there's neuroscience behind that that shows that reading well-written literature can actually boost empathy in um, the young reader's brain. 
Yeah, I love that. That that metaphor of the windows, mirrors and sliding doors is fantastic. And I will have to say that, you know, my experience as a parent of three children, I have had the experience of having to read your book, Just Kidding. Uh, You know, when somebody said something really hurtful to one of my children, and obviously, you know, my, my child said, I I hope that doesn't mean what I think it means. And the response from the other kid was, well, I was just kidding, right? And so Mm -hmm. by reading that book, we were able to have a greater conversation on how to get through that with my daughter. But I would also hope that when other kids are reading this book, you know, maybe they catch themselves and realize, you know, that's maybe a phrase I've said, and I didn't even realize that by saying, just kidding, I'm I'm not being accountable for my own actions. And I know that's a more grown up response, what I'm saying, but I love that through these books, it not only helps somebody who's going through a hard time, but they can actually help a kid maybe identify that their own actions could improve a little. So I love that. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you brought up the just kidding, because when I present at schools as an author, I ask the audiences when I, I feature that book for a, an author read aloud, I ask the kids to raise their hands if they had anyone say something funny and hurtful, and then they just say just kidding about all the hands go up. And then I say, keep your hands up if you believe that kid was just kidding. And over 90% of the hands usually go down. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is raise awareness and, and, and address the elephant in the room with kids to say, that's right, because you know, and I knew, know that most kids, when they say just kidding, they hide behind those words because they don't want to take responsibility for the hurtful behavior. And the same goes that I often hear girls, not just girls say it, but I, I quite often hear girls and in, in grown-up women say, no offense, but, and you can be sure what they're going to say is really offensive. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, let's dig into Brave Every Day. So it's ultimately a story about managing anxiety and finding the courage to stand up for yourself and others. So just first of all, why do you think there's such a significant increase in anxiety in our children and adults too, for that matter? Well, you know, you could easily attribute that increase to the COVID pandemic for, you know, substantial rise in anxiety among youth. But actually, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, they report that anxiety was already on the rise prior to the pandemic. I like to think that the pandemic and its ongoing fallout have unfortunately turbo boosted this upward trend, right? So um, when I, I've been asked, you know, what are the causes that you think can contribute to this significant rise? Because teachers and educators over the past eight years in schools that I visited, they consider anxiety one of the top issues right up there with bullying and friendship issues that they're having to deal with. And I think that the journalist for The Atlantic, his name is Derek Thompson. He did a really thoughtful job in April's article, Why American Teens Are So Sad. And I really like how he broke down some of the contributing factors. He said that social, personal personal interaction and activities have decreased, which is obvious, you know, especially um, enhanced by the pandemic, kids being more online than in person. We're all experiencing increased stress about the state of our world. We've got, you know, the Ukrainian war. We've got political, economic divide, religious divides going on in our country. And 
the kids are picking up on the adult stress in addition to their own, right? And then there's a 24-7 access to stressful news through the lens of journalism's bad news, right? Um, because bad news is negative attention, you get attention. And then there's the heavy use of social media that's taking place during sensitive life periods that can add to the anxiety. And this is fascinating because recently Cambridge did this study of over about 80,000 participants in this study. And what they found that the, those sensitive life periods where social anxiety can add to the anxiety, uh, stress, where social media can add to social anxiety in young kids is that ages 11 to 12, for girls because they're going through puberty, 13 and 14 for boys. And also, again, there seems to be a more vulnerable period with social media when they're 19 years of age, when, you know, they're done with high school, they're starting a new life adventure going off, you know, maybe living on their own, going to college or um, going to work. So those, those are the key areas. And one of the other areas that Derek Thompson mentions is a parenting style that's called accommodative parenting. And that is uh, when a parent overprotects a child in ways that really do not help to build the child's emotional resilience. Uh, the example would be if I have anxiety about being bitten by a dog, um, as a parent, um, you may not want me to go over other people's houses that have dogs. So it's actually reinforcing that fear and anxiety where it's more like an exposure therapy is expose the child in very small and safe ways to help alleviate that stress and not to bubble wrap that child. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, I feel like that goes back to, you know, talking about how kids books aren't just for kids and and how your book, if a parent chooses to share this reading experience with their kid, that, that that's going to help with that element too, where they're not going to be a, like accommodating the anxiety. Uh, you know, they'll be able to take away and learn from your book and, and help bring that to life with the child. So would you mind just talking us through the actual story, just in a nutshell, beginning to end, what readers can, you know, get from your story? Sure. Well, I think what I can start is just explaining why this particular story on anxiety is different from the other children's books that are out there, that picture books that deal with anxiety. So that will set up the story. Perfect. Um, a lot of the children's books that I've seen, they address anxiety. And, you know, if you just do this, you know, what it, it and, and explain anxiety as what if. Um, I wanted to address anxiety as a three-tiered approach of how kids are dealing with anxiety. It's not just the what ifs, it's also I can't, I can't do this. And it's also I'm scared. You know, these are the things that need to be addressed. And it's normal for all of us to have fears and anxieties. That's normal, but it's how we learn to manage them and also to do reality checks with kids on addressing anxiety, what is realistic in their anxieties, what isn't, have kids understand their commonalities in their fears. And I also really important for me was to approach this story to show that kids who deal with anxiety are really, really brave. And that was not an angle that was addressed in other stories. I wanted to show that kids who have to deal with their anxiety on a daily basis, they have to go beyond their comfort zone every single day. And to me, that's bravery. Bravery, I don't think you can experience bravery unless you experience fear because you need bravery to overcome fear. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So t- talk us a little bit through um, just the setting. It's it's a classroom setting. There's Camilla. Yes. So Camilla, while I'll say the opening line, it sets it up is um, some kids lo- uh, love to play hide and seek, not Camilla. She just likes to hide. Hiding is what Camilla does best when she worries and she worries a lot. And her what if I can't and I'm scared worries visit her and consume her on a daily basis. They follow her to school. Um, They follow her at home. They come visit her at night. And Camilla doesn't think of herself as very brave, but she is. She just doesn't know it yet. And so uh, one day there's a a field trip being planned by her school teacher to the aquarium. And for kids, new places is uh, a cause for anxiety. And she's really nervous about it. She has to go on this field trip because there is a project that's um, tied in with it, a class presentation that's tied in with it. It's only when she encounters another classmate and she can see that that child is having anxiety as well, that she uh, lets her heart uh, overcome her fears. Right. And then ultimately, if you even take a step back from that experience, Camilla's experience of seeing the boy struggling and having fears is really what the reader is experiencing from outside the book, is watching Camilla have fears and then seeing how Camilla overcomes. So I just I just love that. And you already said said this line from the book that I think is a true highlight Uh, you know, and it really captures the essence of the story that Camilla doesn't think of herself as very brave, but she is. She just doesn't know it yet. And I just, I think that line really captures it. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have anything else to add there, please do. Um, Otherwise, I want to talk to you about the um, illustrations. Yeah, I just want to add after what you had just said, it's not about getting rid of fears because we're never going to get rid of all of our fears. It's about learning how to manage our fears. And some days will be better than others. And we, we can make changes in big and little ways. And it's about showing up. That's what it's about, showing up. And that's brave for kids who have anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about any feelings you have for Patrice Barton's artwork, which she created using pencil sketches that were digitally painted. So what are your feelings on the artwork? I actually wrote this story with Patrice Barton in mind. I wanted to do another story so badly with Patrice after her amazing work on The Invisible Boy and Quiet Please Owen McPhee. I needed to do another story with her and I know how she operates. She totally gets, if you look at her illustrations, totally gets the social and emotional world of children and captures it so beautifully, so poignantly and humorously in her drawings and artwork. And uh, so I actually, when I had written this story, I requested that she be the one. Normally, you, you don't get to pick as a picture book author, you don't get to pick who the artists are when you're working with traditional publishers like 
Random House. And um, so I, I asked my editor, can you please, please, please have Patrice, because I know she's going to do an amazing job. I really like working with people that really can understand the layers of emotions that are going on with the words that I write. And she just captures it and she just runs with it. Yeah, she really does. Just even with the just subtle little facial expressions and the softness of the palette that she chooses to use. It's just always so inviting, endearing, and you know, really does capture the moment. Something I always love to check out on a picture book is the end papers, because if you look closely, they sometimes tell a story too. The front papers of this book have the phrases, I can't, I'm scared, and what if? And then the back papers simply say, I'll try. And to me, the end papers are just the perfect bookends to the story. I, I, I completely agree with you. And also noticed that the end papers are all in the depths of water, right? It's all submerged in water, all those things. And in an interview, I heard uh, Patrice explain that she, when she experiences anxiety, she feels that the feelings of fear and anxiety bubble up inside her chest. And that that's what she wanted to show is that you get submerged with all those feelings. And that's why they're all underwater. Yeah. And then to resurface that simple phrase, which you deliver in the story is I'll try. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that that's such a just, I mean, that's such an easy takeaway for kids and grownups from this book is mm -hmm. you enter. And like you said earlier, you know, not every day can be perfect and not every day is going to feel the same, but if you can go in with a tool and that tool is as simple as some self-talk of saying, mm -hmm. I'll try. I love that. Yeah. I, I think that that's important to know that we're not going to have our anxieties evaporate and there will be moments there'll be bigger anxieties and smaller anxieties, but we can try to manage them and make effort. And obviously this is not a, a book for kids with deep seated, you know, deep rooted anxiety issues that require professional help. I'm not using it as a clinical book per se, but it's to address when any of us experience anxiety is that it takes courage to put one foot in front of the other, right? And also to pay attention that there are others around us that may be experiencing the same anxieties we do. And then collectively come together as what are some practices that you can do to help reduce your stress? Let's share them because you may have a really good practice that I don't know about. We can learn from each other. Absolutely. So another feature that I really love about the book is that you included discussion questions at the back of the book. So maybe, maybe, um, you know, this whole experience of your kid suddenly being fearful or maybe not not having the courage to try something new is new to you as a parent. I love that there's these, or a teacher, that there's the discussion questions at the back to sort of help you facilitate a deeper conversation about it. And then I love that you also included more recommended reading for kids because often the recommended reading in the back of a book is catered to the adults, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's usually something in a little bit more nonfiction and deeper. And so I love that the recommended reading list at the back is for kids to explore it deeper. So tell me about the discussion questions and the recommended reading. Well, it's uh, interesting that you brought that up because really I look at that back matter as my author's signature. 
so to speak, because most of the books I write, I want to have adults who work with kids, whether they're caregivers or educators, to um, have thoughtful conversations, to open up critical thinking skills with the kids by having those discussions on hand so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's right there, ready to go, a ready-made lesson plan. And using that book as a reference in a safe social setting, that to me is bibliotherapy in and of itself, is just to start generating thoughtful conversations. And then the recommended books, recommended stories for kids. I really think that's important for them to see different perspectives. I mean, this is what we all need is having different perspectives. And that's the beauty of stories is just the way people learn differently. Some people learn, you know, uh, visually, some are auditorial, they learn through their ears, some people learn through their eyes better or tactile learners. And so that's how I see books, you know, um, if, they want to find out more information or some other book may uh, resonate with them more, but it's dealing with that particular issue. So, you know, I don't think one book is a one-stop solution for any child or any adult working with kids and getting information. I will say that one of the recommended books that I have that's there for kids is by Dr. Uh, Don Hubner. What do you do when you worry too much? Oh, um, I love that book. I love that one. Yes. <laughs> And that is, an, that is a nonfiction book that I think any adult working with kids who really needs more of a, uh, it's, it's more of a clinical background that's presented in layman terms to really help kids that really suffer from anxiety. I think that that should be a standard go-to book on every family's bookshelf and 100% agree, <laughs> you know, um, I think it's phenomenal. Um, she has some other books that are coming out on it and she has a wonderful Ted talk. I don't know if you, you heard her Ted talk, Bianca, but I she, did not. Oh, you've got to check it out. Cause she starts talking about her child's anxiety and how she couldn't find therapists to help the child and talks about, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and how that helped. And then she realized that she suffered from anxiety when she was having to do talks and she didn't realize that she had similar problems. It's fascinating yeah. when she had to do public speaking. So I would check that out if you're interested. Yeah. I, you know, I, for anybody listening, that's excited about the Ted talk, I'm going to link it in the show notes too. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. So I no, I, I just, you know, I, I did, did love that you included all of this recommended reading that was specifically catered for kids because it's true. I mean, every human, whether you're a child or, or an adult, we all experience life slightly differently. And so to be able to either find yourself and your experience in a book or to see the multiple different ways that people experience anxiety, I think is great. Thanks for including that. Oh, my pleasure. Totally. All right. So when a reader gets to the last page of Brave Every Day and closes the book and takes a big, deep breath, what impact do you hope your story will have had on them? I hope it normalizes for kids their fears and that they don't feel like something is wrong with them. I think as human beings, we all come imperfect. We're not machines. And to understand that if someone wrote a book about this, they are not alone. And I want them to be able to connect with the story, the reader's thoughts, feelings, and actions, and have opportunities to maybe reach out to an adult or talk to someone else about what they need help in and connecting in that way to understand that we are a village that we need to help each other. And sometimes addressing our own fears is helping us to help other address their fears. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, across all your books, you've covered bullying, empathy, kindness, inclusion, and diversity in the classroom and beyond. So like, what are you going to write next? And are there any other books that we should be watching for? Yes, I am very excited about another book coming out. So Brave Every Day will be its book birthday is a day before my actual birthday, Bianca, Ooh. on uh, June 28th. And I'm also excited to share I have another book coming out in October, early October. And I am collaborating. It's a close collaboration with the dear illustrator, author, friend of mine, Catherine Atoshi. I don't know if you're familiar with the work. She wrote zero, one, two. I sure am. Uh, Beautiful Hands, Draw the Line. And she recently published uh, Lunch Every Day, which is a beautiful story based on a true situation. Yes. Um, we are collaborating on a book called Calling the Wind. It's fiction, but it's inspired on a true story. The book deals with addressing loss and grief and the healing power of hope. And I think it's a a very timely and timeless story to help children understand when there are major life changes, whether it's family with divorce or uh, moving a different way of life or a loss of a loved one, how we handle grief and deal with grief and the power of human connection. And that's what this book's about. Grief doesn't end, but it changes you know, even when a life ends, love lives on. Okay. I feel like you're trying to make me cry today. (laughs) That sounds so beautiful and very much needed right now. Ah, What a beautiful collaboration this is going to be. I feel like people are clicking and pre-ordering right now. It's going to be amazing. Uh, Well, I'm so impressed by the content that you choose to write about but also by the number of published books that you have now. Do you write stories every day? Oh, you know, it's interesting. I would say 20% of my time is writing actual stories. The rest of the time it is presenting. I do a lot of presentations, not only for kids, but also for educators. I do professional development, you know, using literature to promote empathy, build emotional resilience. And I present at conferences and also present at schools. So I'm sneaky because I teach character ed at the schools I visit. So it takes me a while. I honestly, I do not know what I'm going to write next because that last story, Calling the Wind, honestly took it out of me. It was my way of finding meaning in life, um, in loss. I experienced cumulative losses. I've lost my mother and four siblings. And uh, and it's been a way for me to process my grief. Um, so I, I don't know where I'm going to go with it. I know I will write again, but I don't want to write for the sake of writing. I'm hoping that my muse will come calling soon. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I love it. Well, as a writer, do you also consider that reading is an important part of your career? And was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader? Oh, I think, and this is what I share with kids of all ages, is if you want to be a good writer, you need, need, need to be a good reader. And what I also tell kids is to focus on the stories and what makes them exciting to you? What do you like? And what makes you not want to read a particular story? What gathers your interest, right? I think that all writers start in some ways, kind of like the way fan fiction happened online. We write because we like a certain story with the same plots. And then we kind of copy it just the way illustrators, when they're very young, they first copy other 
professional illustrator stories, right? Or we may trace their their illustrations until we, you know, can do our own. But I think that's a very common process is, you know, we copy and then we come to find our own voice or we find our own art in the process, in that journey. So I really think that reading transformed my life. I I was a late bloomer in reading and with friendships. I was very shy and serious child, very reserved. And our family had moved from New England to, you know, the South. And I was a strange kid with a very strange accent, which I'm sure you could relate, Bianca. (laughs) And I had different words for different things, like a water fountain was a bubbler for me. Oh, that's what I call it. Bubblers, right? And Mm -hmm. and in my New England accent, I probably sounded like you, bubbler, because we didn't say the R's. (laughs) (laughs) And I fell in love with my first grade teacher and with a book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, when she read chapter by chapter in class every day. And I paid attention to the other kids who really loved that book. And I felt like we had something in common. We had a commonality, a love of that story. And that opened my world. It really opened my world, the the books. And I also, when things, when we had tough times in our family, I could lose and escape. I could escape from that tough time by losing myself in a story and also see how problems were solved in the books. It was a way of trying on different problem solving in a safe way. That's what I love about stories. You can't have a good story unless there's a problem. Yeah, it's true. There's boring. There's always a problem that has to be solved. And so- it may, yeah, maybe solved in a good way or maybe solved in a bad way. But that's the good thing about stories. You can talk about, well, that wasn't a good way to solve that problem. How would you rewrite the story? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I love that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was the book that hooked you. I'm, I'm a huge Roald Dahl fan. And ah. so I think for me, it was um, his book, The Twits, that oh. hooked me. I can't, I can't really say why specifically, but if I had to pick something about it. I'd say I was just drawn to the absurdity and the the quirkiness of his characters. Yes. Yes. I, and I love that. And I loved, I loved that adults were messed up too. He showed the messiness of adults with kids. I mean, when you think about it, a lot of literature over the years, what I don't like is they, and, and also movies, they usually show grownups that are inept or negligent or not there. And the kids have to solve the adult problems. Think about it. James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, Snow White, yep. Cinderella. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, all the classic, it's bizarre. And so, um, and that's a big burden, you know, to put upon a kid. <laughs> yes. So I also want to show that in my stories too, I want to show that there are some adults that do look out. I mean, not in all my books, but in a lot of them, we got to go seek out some caring adults. Cause you know, when kids are little, they still believe adults can help them. Yeah. But what I try to tell kids is, you know, if you go to an adult for advice and that advice isn't working and you still trust that adult, you, you need to check in with them because adults forget to check in with you to find out if their advice is still working. So go in and go in and say, Hey, it's not working. Got any other advice? I said, because sometimes adults, we need to talk with other adults to come up with better solutions. Definitely. Well, well, Trudy, I honestly could keep talking to you for hours about all your books. So I I hope you'll come back on sometime in the future and maybe hopefully pretty soon. But, But before we go, I'm just curious if there was one thing that you hope the growing readers listeners take away today, what would that be? I think what listeners can know is that empathy can be learned and 
children's literature is a wonderful supplemental tool to promote empathy. And the reason why I want these kids to have more empathy is because I firmly believe that kids are change makers. We've got a lot of bad adult role modeling going on in our world. And the kids are seeing this. The kids are seeing this. And I don't believe kids are just our future. They're our present. And we need them to be change makers. And I'm I'm focusing my efforts on recruiting more kindness warriors. And I, I'm doing it through my work. Yes. Okay, everyone, you heard Queen Trudy. We need more change makers and kindness warriors. And we can encourage, empower, and inspire our youth with my favorite personal tool or my personal favorite tool, books. So please, please go and order all of Trudy's books. I'm not just saying that. Order all of them, including a copy of Brave Every Day, which really has the power to encourage a young reader. Thank you so much for coming on today, Trudy. It was truly a joy. Thank you so much for having me, Bianca. And by the way, I love your books. You're doing great work. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Thanks, Trudy. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Brave Every Day by Trudy Ludwig and Patrice Barton. To see which author and illustrator guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com forward slash the growing readers podcast. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com. Dot com.